Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday, everyone. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Lynn Grunsing-Pufal, contributing editor here at HR Daily Advisor. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So obviously, I've read a lot of your pieces, and I'm sure our listeners and readers have seen your pieces every single week, if not more frequently. And I noticed that you've been writing a lot recently on the great resignation and how companies can attract talent. So I thought we would start there for today. One of the biggest things that recruiters are feeling is the effects of COVID-19. So I was wondering what you thought about how the pandemic and the great resignation has affected recruiting efforts. Yeah, I think it's affected them significantly and in, in ways that kind of ebb and flow with whatever's happening out, out there in terms of the virus and as it comes back or different variations emerge, concerns that employees have about their own health or the health of their family members, what's happening with if they have children in school and if the schools are open or closed, what's happening with their own jobs. So definitely a lot of uncertainty and a lot of varying concerns among employees. I think also coupled with the, the opportunity that they've had over the past several months, two years now, to, to learn what it's like to have more control and more flexibility over how and, and when and where they work. Right, exactly. And so obviously there's no sort of blanket solution as COVID's always changing, people's individual circumstances are always changing. But do you have any advice or anything that you've noticed that gives you an edge in today's job market as a recruiter? As a recruiter, I think it's important to understand the company and its values and mission and do the best job that you can in matching that up with the candidates that you're speaking to. And always providing realistic job previews. I think even in tight markets, we don't just want to get somebody in the door. We want to make sure that whoever we get in the door is a a good match because otherwise it gets to be a, a revolving door, which can become very, very expensive. So I think it's critical for recruiters to understand the job that they're recruiting for, the company and what it's like and then matching up the candidates that they're speaking to to make sure that they're going to be a good fit. Yeah. In one of your recent articles, I saw the statistic that 46% of the workforce is made up of millennials and Gen Z. What have you seen in your research and stuff that is effective in attracting the younger generation? Sure. I think even prior to the pandemic, the younger generation was already being identified as being more interested in having a healthy work-life balance, having more flexibility in terms of their their job and the hours that they worked, having more concerns about the the culture and mission of the companies that they worked for in terms of corporate social responsibility, how they were contributing to whoever their market or or the community happened to be. And then I think the other thing with the younger generations too is just a, a heightened sense of concern for inclusion and diversity of all different kinds. And in a lot of your diversity insight columns, you've spoken to some great leaders in the D&I area. So I was wondering if anyone you've spoken to recently or in the past who has been doing the right things, who other leaders can learn from. Oh, that's a great question. I think all of them 
to tell you the truth, because I think they all have, they're all working at different companies that have different, you know, different missions, different values, different demographics in terms of both their workforce and their customer market or client market. And I, I think what's interested me in speaking with them is just learning about the varying sorts of things that they're doing or the different ways that they're placing emphasis on certain aspects of diversity or their own efforts. I mean, it could be anything from employee resource groups, which are, are fairly popular and common in a lot of organizations. I know at least one person that I, I spoke with said that their resource groups are wide open. So you don't need to be a member of whatever the population of interest is. You can simply become a member because you want to get to know these people better and, and you want to be supportive and, and be an ally. And I thought that was really interesting. Definitely a more inc inclusive approach to inclusivity within an organization, you know, not forming these groups so that they are excluding others that don't necessarily have the traits that they do, but inviting them to be part of the group. And that just, you know, kind of expands the interactions and the relationships between people. And I, I think that was a really, really an interesting approach. Another thing that I think is so important that I think companies are beginning to recognize more is that it's not just about finding and recruiting diverse candidates. It's about making sure that once they're onboarded, that they feel as though they're welcomed, that they have the opportunity to give input, that their opinions matter, um, and that they're valued. So it's, you know, once they're in the door, the work is not done. There's, there's still a lot of opportunity to make sure that they're engaged. Exactly. And you had mentioned earlier how costly it can be to replace talent. So beyond employee resource groups, what other stuff have you found in your research and in your conversations with leaders in the HR field is effective at improving retention rates? I think another thing that's really big right now is development opportunities. And I, I think that spans, um, oddly enough, I think it spans the generations because even retirees these days are often coming back into the workplace or seeking different sorts of jobs or, or wanting to be retrained in certain ways. So I think it's that's something that's pretty common across the different demographics. Although for the younger entrants to the workforce, obviously they're more interested in you know where their career is taking them and wanting to have play an active part in that process. So that's really important. And it, it goes both ways actually because for organizations, they also have to be concerned about upskilling and reskilling employees just because of the pace of change is so rampant in terms of market changes and you know, shifts related to the pandemic, technology that's emerging, that really they, they need to do this continuously. So it's kind of a win-win. Employers need that added value of people who are trained in to take on new roles and responsibilities, and employees value the opportunity to get those skills to help position them for better opportunities or promotions in the, the future. And I think another thing that's really important and always has been, I mean, the, the pandemic, I think, has pointed out things to us that maybe we tended to overlook in the past, like communication. Communication has always been important with employees. Open communication, transparent communication, honest, an opportunity for two-way communication and an opportunity for employees to understand and believe that their input really matters and that their opinions really matter and that the employer is going to turn to them for input on a wide range of issues that can help make the workplace better or make the products and services the company delivers better. Just speaking of careers, I'd love to learn about how you got your start into writing about everything HR, if you would want to talk about that. Well, it happened a, a long time, a long time ago. I, I started freelance writing when I was in college, actually, just kind of dabbling in it. And at the time, I had a part-time job in a small company that I thought was a very interesting company to work for. 
I had a close relationship with the HR manager there and started to get interested in HR and employee relations because I, I had majored in psychology in college and had decided I, I wasn't going to be an actual therapist. But a lot of those concepts really applied to the workplace and working effectively with employees, working with colleagues, communication, relationships, all of those sorts of things. So really took an interest in that and had moved to a different job with a utility company where I also was fortunate to be able to work with the HR team. And one of the members of that team was going to get her, her um, certification through SHRM. And even though I was in corporate communications officially, I represented the HR department as an internal customer. So I thought, you know what, I, I think I'll try to do this as well. And so I, I did, and I, I got my SPHR many years ago, which really, I think, was my first entry point into working with SHRM. And I've worked with them ever since over the years, writing a lot of HR content for them, as well as other traditional publications and, and organizations like HRDA, obviously. And then also for content marketing clients. So over the past couple of years, one of the things that, I did not anticipate with the pandemic, but which I, I felt is a huge increase in topics related to HR and employee relations, employee management. So I have been really, really busy over the past couple of years, creating content along a wide range of different areas that employers and HR people are interested in. I mean, everything from the very beginning to how do we set these people up to work from home to how do we bring them back into the office and, and what do we do about the people that don't want to come back into the office and how do we engage people? How do we deal with the great resignation? Looking forward, I don't really see that need diminishing anytime soon for, for good or, or ill, I guess. I think this has really opened people's eyes up to not only the challenges attracting and retaining employees, but the opportunities, because I think there are a lot of great opportunities that our sudden realization that people can work remotely effectively opens up for both employers and employees. Yeah, that really does expand the flexibility of the job market because employers are no longer stuck to one geographic area. Right, exactly. And I think and the same is true for employees, although it was interesting. I, I teach courses part-time at a local university and we we're talking about this in the class and one of the students had kind of an, an alternate perspective. So on the one hand, College students that are graduating now have an opportunity to get jobs in locations they might not otherwise have had. But he, he said, well, that's true. But I also then have more competition. That's true. That was kind of an interesting perspective, I thought. Although in this environment where various skills are in such high demand, I think that employees still do have the upper hand to a large degree. That makes sense. And when you mentioned that you studied um, psychology in college, I'm wondering like what sort of overlap you've seen from what you've learned from the psychological side and how that can be applicable or a learning point for people within the HR space. Yeah, definitely a lot of overlap. And I think initially one of the things I was most interested in when I first started working and I had experienced two different environments in my job, one that was very motivating, didn't pay a lot. And the other one that was not very motivating, but the pay was really good. The other one didn't pay as well, but the employees were far more motivated and engaged and excited about their work. And so I did research back then and wrote a book on non-monetary incentives and, and the importance of non-monetary incentives in connecting with employees and helping them to be productive and contribute to the organization. And I, I think there's definitely overlap with a lot of psychological principles there in terms of what, you know, what does motivate people. It's not a collective thing. Usually it's an individual thing. So it really points to the importance of managers and supervisors 
knowing their employees, understanding what motivates them and being flexible enough to build that environment or provide that environment to meet all of the varied needs of the people that they're working with. Yeah. It reminded me of what you had said earlier about how a lot of employees and employers can benefit from upskilling and and training on the job as part of a solution to retention rates. So it's it's really cool what you said about how big a role managers can play in um, keeping people on board and finding that happy medium and everything. Yeah, definitely. And again, that's always been the case. They've always played a really important role. I think many were previously challenged because they weren't trained in management skills necessarily and maybe didn't have experience in, in them or have a good role model. Today, with the remote and hybrid workforce, I think those challenges are greater for many people who, who don't have that background or your training and maybe feel challenged to keep employees engaged when they're not all working in the same place. A lot of different skills that I think that are emerging that managers for you know, today and in the, the near future are going to have to have that maybe they didn't before. Do you see any other trends that are going to be important, either from a managerial standpoint or just overall? Oh, good question. I do think one of the other trends is a, a greater appreciation for the need to support work-life balance. And, you know, again, it's something that it had existed pre-pandemic, but it's just become more apparent since. And little things like before the pandemic, if people wanted to work from home or telecommute, often organizations would have policies saying, you can do that, but we need you to let us know that your children will not be in the home, that they will be receiving childcare elsewhere, which made sense at the time. Now, though, since the pandemic, we've learned that employees, they had to have their children and sometimes their adult members of their family home in the same environment, and they have been largely able to remain productive. I think some of those things may change over time where they need to work. So my son is someone that has taken advantage of this. He's been remote since this all started, he and his uh, now wife. And last year, they took a, a staycation where they went to Arizona for a month during the wintertime. And both were able to continue working. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Again, an opportunity for employers to think differently about how they engage with their employees and what's important to their employees. How can they support some of those personal needs that they have in different ways, maybe than they have in the past? And I think along with that, to another ongoing concern, you know, again, with a lot of this stuff, it was true before and it still is mental health issues are more significant now than ever. And they already were a huge concern. When employees are remote, though, and many are still working from home, some of the the anxieties that they have or the stressors that they have or the issues that they may have with substance abuse, you know, whatever it might be, become greater and you know, the risks become greater. So I think those concerns are out there. And I think that workplaces are feeling more responsibility to play a role in that in some way in helping employees with their mental health needs and their personal needs. Right. So since this episode is airing on Friday, I just want to know, what are you looking forward to this weekend? This is my last weekend in Florida because I'm able to <laughs> I'm able to work remotely too. I've been down here since January and we leave next week, Thursday, to go back to Wisconsin. So what I'm most looking forward to is my last week on the beach. Every Sunday we head to the beach, take a walk and sit around and watch people for a while and then head back for lunch. So very relaxing and I'll miss it. That sounds like the dream. Yeah. <laughs> How is the weather down in Florida for the most part? I imagine it's much, much warmer than what you're going to go back to in Wisconsin. <laughs> much, much warmer. And this week is in the 90s, which I love. And I, my husband kind of scolds me because I'm most of, I work down here. So most of the day I'm inside working at my desk. 
I'm not out in the heat. But at the end of the day, I can go outside and I really do. I like that better than the, the cold. I can function much better outdoors with heat than I can with cold. I feel that. I um I actually just got back from a work trip in Arizona. And I'm the opposite. I do better in the cold than the heat. But dry heat is a game changer. I didn't even realize how much nicer it is than the damp we get up north, you know? Oh, true. Yeah, very true. That's, yeah, that's a good point. I've spent some time in, in Phoenix when it's been very hot in the summertime. And it is, it's not as, as muggy. You can breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lynn, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, absolutely. Great questions. Yeah, it was really great being able to speak with you in person after reading all your work. It's been great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Again, I'm Maddie Collins, and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.